My name is Nolan Tremelling. I'm currently a student at Columbia University, the founder of a STEM education startup, and someone who deeply cares about the world. I hope to have a number of conversations between myself and numerous guests surrounding some topics that are of particular interest to me. I hope to release these conversations regularly. So Ruby, you've worked with the mayor of Racine for two and a half years now. So what do you do for the city of Racine? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my main position at the mayor's office um, is assisting with constituent interactions. Um, so that would be any questions, concerns, or ideas that residents of Racine have that they would like to present to our office or to the mayor. I am kind of the go like in between for some of those. Um, so that could be through email, over the phone, or in person. Um, and in addition to that, I also assist with some larger scale projects um, on like a basis of whenever they come up. Um, so some programs through the city of Racine that I've assisted with are the Smart Cities conferences that we hosted in 2020, um, renters roundtables and renters programs through the city of Racine as well as a program called Saw You in the News, um, which is just the mayor's way of connecting with the residents of Racine. So you've mentioned the idea of the smart city. So what is a smart city? Yeah, um, so a smart city is a city that works to integrate technology in as many ways possible throughout the city to make the lives of residents and business owners um, more simple and more cohesive. Um, so that it creates more of like a connected environment for everyone. So what does this look like? Is this like electric vehicle charging stations? Is this integrating yeah. like computer vision into traffic or what is for it? For sure. It's a bit of everything. Um, and as we are becoming more familiar with 5G technologies, um, that's opening up quite a few doors um, into the world of smart cities. So currently where the city of Racine is at with that, um, in 2020, the city of Racine competed with over 100 communities across Canada, Mexico, the United States, um, and we actually ended up earning the 2019 North American Smart Cities designation, um, which meant that we were the first Wisconsin municipality and the smallest city ever to be awarded that honor. Wow. Yeah. So Racine seems like it's going places. You and I are both from Racine. Mm -hmm. We went to middle school together, we went to high school together. Yeah. So um, where do you see Racine going in the next 5, 10, 50 years? You know, that is a really interesting question. Um, it's really amazing being located right in between Milwaukee and Chicago, of course. Um, it kind of opens up a hub of potential. Um, with a lot of the recent developments in Racine, we're looking at conference centers, um, brand new market rate condos. Um, so just drawing more attention to the city of Racine itself. So instead of it being a go-between from Milwaukee to Chicago, we are hoping to open it up to something um, that kind of becomes its own little thing. So improving small businesses, um, drawing attention of home buyers, um, things like that. So, I mean, Racine started as more of an industrial powerhouse, and right now we're, I guess, kind of in like a zone of stagnation. So where do you see Racine's business sectors going to 
in the future? For sure. Um, I think that locally, if we're talking city of Racine, downtown Racine, um, it's definitely more of a small business type area, or at least I think that's kind of projecting forward um, what a lot of people are hoping for it to be. Um, I know that when you get further out west, closer to the eye, um, that's opening up a lot of possibility for industries to come in and build their huge factories, and that's wonderful because it opens up a whole lot of job opportunities, which you know you can never have enough of. Um, but that gets kind of closer to the county area. Um, so as far as city of Racine, I definitely think it's headed in more of a small business community centered sort of way. Okay. So more recently, have you seen any, I guess, particular developments towards a smart city or I guess when I think of smart city in like 50 or a hundred years, I think of like solar roadways and like EV charging everywhere. Do you think that stuff is coming to Racine soon, or do you think that's that's something down the road and that the focus is more on, on other development? Yeah, you know, I definitely think that we are on our way to that. Um, I, I don't really have a direct timeline. I know that through the Smart Cities designation that the city of Racine earned in 2020, um, that did include a partnership with U.S. Cellular. Uh, to implement 5G technologies all throughout the city of Racine as soon as that is readily available. And so once that happens, then we can start to make steps towards things such as that. I know that through the mayor's office and through the city of Racine, one gigantic thing that we're working on currently is solar panels. Um, we have an amazing environmental coordinator, her name's Kara Pratt, um, and she works a lot with not only solar panels, but electric vehicles and public electric transportation. So that's something on the horizon, as well as smart kiosks um, and just a ton of really cool stuff like that. I know that as far as what the city of Racine has done so far, um, we were actually able to host a three-part smart city series and seminar, um, which included a general conference, a readiness workshop, and an innovation and technology gala. And so that was a really great introduction to the community on what Smart Cities is and um, the potential it has to build our city. Interesting. So we have a, a partnership as a city with U.S. Cellular. So I think I have to ask, do you think that 5G networks cause a myriad of diseases? <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I actually have quite a bit of personal experience with that. My father is a communications consultant uh, for Beale Consulting, and he works with Verizon and a whole bunch of other um, cellular companies um, implementing both macro and micro cell um, telecommunications towers. Um, and you know, that's a concern that has been raised several times, um, but the kind of stuff that comes from those towers, it's really no worse than sleeping with your phone right next to you on a bedstand every night or standing next to the microwave while your popcorn heats up, you know? For sure, for sure. So working with the mayor's office, what have some of your experiences been? Uh, you know, they have been interesting. <laughs> um, it definitely wasn't ever something I envisioned for myself as a 16-year-old when I first started working there. 
Um, but now that I have been there for about two and a half years, um, it has really opened up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities that I didn't really have access to before. Um, it's been a really cool experience. I get to work with community members in Racine every day. Um, I get to work with some wonderful people in the office and throughout the rest of the city. Um, and you know, having those experiences is just something that you can't really compare to anything else. So. Sure. So, as cities like Racine or, or any city becomes more of a smart city, there's obviously more technology that's required to get there. So what do you think cities like Racine, who just had a cyber attack um, in the past, past year, what kind of infrastructure do you think needs to be changed? Or what kind of things need to be put in place before we kind of reach that goal of having a smart city? Yeah, you know, that is a really interesting question. Um, and it's definitely not an area I am an expert in. Um, I know that personally, Hmm. Let's see. I don't know. That's a really, that's a very interesting question. And I don't know that I am the right person to answer that for you as much as I would love to be. Um, I just don't really know enough about tech, technological infrastructure to be able to answer that in a cohesive way for you. So do you see like active attempts by city governments to kind of get in more like people in the tech sector with jobs or I guess, what, what do you see? Um, you know, we have a really great IT and MIS department in the city working for city hall itself. Um, I know that they are working every single day to improve our technological infrastructure, to be able to handle all of these new, um, capabilities that we are kind of falling into on a day to day basis. Um, outside of the city, I can't really, I don't have enough information to be able to answer that question. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So I guess moving to kind of like local issues that we face here in Racine, mm -hmm. what do you think is the biggest issue that Racine faces and how can we tackle that? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I as much as I understand like the whole like oh local issues sort of thing I've always hated the word issues when it comes to like the political sphere right um, I like to use more so like improvement areas um, because things are constantly changing they're constantly improving um, and no matter how far we go there are always going to be things that we can work on um, as far as within the city of Racine, um, my biggest observation would be the constituent investment in the city of Racine. So what we currently see in the city of Racine um, is a higher ratio of renting to owning um, than in other comparable areas. So we have a ton of renters here, um, and that's not to say that that's bad. Um, it's just really great to make a city a place where people want to buy homes, where they want to invest in the place where they live, where they want to build their businesses, where they want to send their kids to school. Um, so I would say that making Racine a place where people are looking to buy instead of rent. I think that that's the biggest thing that at least I would be looking to tackle right now. 
so interesting is there, I guess when I drive down the street, I don't necessarily see a lot of apartments. So are people renting a lot of houses and moving elsewhere? Yeah, it's houses, it is condos, um, it is apartments. You know, we have a ton of new condos going up. Um, we have a lot of old complexes that are being renovated. And I guess it does kind of depend on the area of Racine that you're looking in. Um, but at least around more so of the downtown area, um, that is definitely a very large renting hub. For sure. So why don't you tell us a little bit, I mean, you go to UW-Madison. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit of what you study and I guess what you're passionate about? And yeah, for sure. What you want to do in the world? So I am currently majoring in both um, political science and communications. Um, and I always like to say that while my major is political science, my passion is public service. Um, so I, I am starting to get into the nonprofit realm and I was recently appointed to the board of directors um, at the YMCA in the city of Racine. Um, and you know, I really just like to work on improving my community, um, making it a place where people feel like they have connections, where they feel like they are welcome where they feel wanted, because um, that's a really important thing. You know, everybody wants to feel or be wanted. Um, so, you know, through the rest of my studies at Madison, I hope to gain the knowledge um, to be able to be a leader in that sphere, you know? Um, so just propelling our communities forward um, and making it so that everybody is kind of able to work together for the greater good as far out as that idea may seem. Yeah, so I mean, you mentioned the idea of, you know, building like a closer knit community and stuff. Yeah. And um, one thing that I think that we've had in our shared experiences together mm -hmm. is is with our high school, with Walden. Right. Um, that a lot of people probably don't have with an high school. Yeah, for sure. So I guess, did Walden like impact you, oh. kind of like guide you in that or? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you don't have to lie here. You can, <laughs> no. you know. <laughs> no, no. I don't know if Rob's listening. Hopefully, if he does, he'll let me know. But, uh... Yeah, you know, I think that it started sometime around middle or high school, my passion for public service. And I definitely think that where we went to school had a big impact on that. Um, and it definitely opened up a lot of opportunities to be able to, like, help throughout the community um, and just give general assists wherever we could. Um, like through the food drive and a bunch of other projects that we were able to do at Walden. Yeah, I think Walden was another really interesting place in Racine to look at. I mean, you have, I guess, sort of that normal high school experience with some students, but I think it gives the opportunity for a lot of students to really get out there and, and grow. And I mean, one thing that I've seen at Walden more so than in other places is really a lot of um, you know, female empowerment. I mean, within our grade especially, there were a number of, of really strong female leaders. I mm -hmm. mean, yourself, Paige Allen, Sophie Young, yeah. um, Sarah Frickin Smith. I mean, I could go off and name a lot more. But um, is that something in Racine that you think is is kind of shifting towards? Do you think that more women and girls are are being able to, you know, kind of take things by the reins and and have their voice heard or do you think that's something that needs to be worked on more um you know i think that every every aspect of kind of the political realm um and just as far as including minority groups um that's always something that we can work on 
Um, but I, I do see it happening not only in the city of Racine, um, but all over Wisconsin and now nationally with our first ever woman vice president, Kamala Harris. And I definitely think that that is kind of a turn for the better, you know, um, because you should never discount anyone's idea because of their race or their sex or their identity. Um, but yeah, I do see improvement in the city. Um, and really everywhere I look. So there's still a long way to go, but we're getting there. I agree, you know, I think it's more of a national thing. And I mean, if we look, um, I mean, we're recording this in March of 2021. So this past year alone has, you know, had a crazy amount of things that have really like tested our democracy here in the US. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I guess, what's your take on, on kind of everything moving forward? Do you think the, the current structure of how things have been going for the past half a century is working? Or, or what do you want to see happen? You know, I'm going to be really honest. And my overarching answer um, to that question is no. Um, I think that where we are currently at within the United States, um, it's a very hostile climate politically. Um, and it's also one that is very, very, very divided. And I honestly think that whatever your ideologies are, whatever your views are, whether it be political, personal, religious, whatever your views may be, um, I honestly believe that we reach better solutions to problems when we work together. Um, so I know sitting here recording this, Nolan and I definitely do not have the same political views um, by any means. Um, I don't think that they're terribly different, and I also don't think that we hold any disrespect for each other because of our political views. Um, we've been great friends forever, and I think that we will continue to be, um, barring any catastrophic events. Um, but, you know, just sort of the spirit of camaraderie and understanding that we are all in the same place, and that we do not hold as many differences um, as we think we do. And if we are able to set those aside every once in a while um, and work together um, for the betterment of society as a whole, I think that that's the most important thing to focus on. Yeah, I think for myself, like you said, I'm, I guess more so in the past year, my political views have, you know, shifted and I think I've focused less on myself and more on, on what we need to do as a society to right. become better. Um, but no, I think you hit that on the head with, you know, working together and, and finding common ground and not focusing on the differences. Exactly. So, um, so you've done a lot of work when you were at Walden with different organizations. You helped run the food drive. You did a lot of work with Model United Nations and, and putting on stuff like that. So as you enter the nonprofit realm, is there a certain sector of the nonprofit realm that you're leaning towards? Do you want to work in you know, community outreach? Do you want to work more in, in STEM education or education in general? Or what are you thinking? Yeah, it's definitely um, a little bit of everything. And I think that my position greatly differs based off of the organizations that I'm working with. Um, for example, I, I wouldn't be holding the same positions at a different organization as I am at the YMCA. Um, when I get further into the nonprofit realm and being able to sit as a part of different boards and assist different organizations, 
Um, so it's really wherever anybody needs me, I am glad to provide my help. Um, you know, I'm looking at this as kind of a learning experience because I am by no means a professional or an expert. Um, I'm 18 years old sitting on a nonprofit board, so there's more to learn really than anything that I could ever provide for them, um, which has been a really interesting kind of learning curve and learning experience for myself as well, and a little bit humbling um, if, I, if I do say so. Um, but I think that the things that I am mainly focused on are definitely community outreach, um, because that is one of the areas that I do have the most experience in. Um, and in addition to that, I am going to college for communications and part of communications is marketing. Um, so if I can find a way to kind of intertwine those two, both the community outreach and the marketing, um, I think that that's kind of the direction that I'm looking towards. I've yeah. been planning a few events um, just for the nonprofits. Um, but yeah, I think that's the general direction that I'm headed. You know, there is one thing you said there that I'm not going to let you get away with, which is do not let Ruby fool you. She might be 18. She might be sitting on a, a nonprofit board and think that she doesn't have a lot to add, but I guarantee you oh, she thanks, has a lot Mom. more. But <laughs> no, she's, she's an amazing, dedicated person. So I'm sure that, you know, as much as she's learning from others, they're learning from her at the same time. So... I guess shifting back yeah, to looking sure. at this past year, um, things in high school ended kind of abruptly for all of us. You know, yeah. I don't think, I want to say it was like the 12th or 13th of March that, you know. Right. We're coming up on a year here very quickly. Yeah. So looking back, your mindset back in, in March of 2020, mm -hmm. in hindsight, did you think, I mean, have you grown a lot as a person? Do you think you've learned a lot? Do you think as a society we've learned a lot? Or what are your kind of, in retrospect, your thoughts on Yeah, for sure. Last um, year. I have grown leaps and bounds since last year, you know? Um, in high school, I kind of held um, very much of like a go-get-em sort of attitude, you know? I was constantly going. Um, and that was really fantastic for where I was at in life then. And then, you know, when COVID hit, that was a very big surprise to everyone. And I definitely think that a lot of us assumed that it would be handled a lot differently than it was. Um, but you have to consider we were all getting ready for graduation. A lot of us were packing up all of our stuff, getting ready to go to college. Um, and all of a sudden, all of that was just sort of put on hold. And here we are a year later, um, and we are starting to be able to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, and it kind of feels like there was just this gigantic pause. Um, and within that period of the pause, the only things you really had to do um, were focus more so on yourself than other people or like your day-to-day, -day, like your usual day-to-day -day outside of the pandemic. Um, which was really interesting um, because I couldn't like go, go, go all, all day, all the time, you know? Um, so that really forced me to kind of sit back um, and look back at my high school experience and look forward to my future and college and my career and what I want to do with that. 
Um, and I think that that was a very eye-opening experience for me. And I think that I had a little bit of a difficult time um, just suddenly having to let go of high school um, and let go of a lot of my friends and not be able to attend graduation or have any of the pomp and circumstance that usual high school graduates get. Um, but I do know that looking back in 20 to 25 years um, at my high school experience, at my experience with COVID and over this past year, um, I think that in all honesty and in all actuality, <clears throat> that um, this experience has provided something to all of us, all people that have been involved in, you know, this pandemic, who have had to pass major milestones, um, you know, it's something that is really unforgettable. Um, and it's something that I think will be, in the end, beneficial, um, but also sort of devastating to a lot of people. You know, I'm fortunate enough that I've now been vaccinated through my position at work. Pfizer or Moderna? Pfizer. Pfizer? Have yes. you experienced any purple spots or <laughs> abnormal uh, You growths? know, I have not come down with leprosy yet. Um, will you update us if you do? I, I will. Yeah, my arm was a little sore the day after I got the shot, but other than that, I felt completely fine. You know, I'm still masking up in public areas, still maintaining that social distance. Um, just because I am not so likely to get it doesn't mean that I'm unable to give it to other people. You know, and that's something that I've been really cautious with. Um, I live with my mother and my sister, and that's definitely not something that I would ever want to pass along to either of them. So, For sure, yeah. Did you experience, I mean, for myself, um, I guess that week that, you know, we kind of went home from high school. We were told, you know, we're going to be out of school for a week. We'll let you know. And then it right. became two weeks. And then April 15th, we'll be back. And then it was, you know... May 30th, right. we'll be back for one last week, and mm -hmm. it kind of got pushed on. Did you find, because if you, if you look at it, I feel like um, there weren't many people out. I mean, you were potentially, you know, still going to the grocery store, but restaurants closed. I mean, pretty much everything closed. Right. And the city of Racine, I think, played, you know, a pretty, pretty big role in stopping any exponential early on spread of COVID right. because of their actions. But did you experience any of that yourself of, you know, like kind of that existential fear? Like, I don't know what this thing is, but I'm going right. to have to go to the store. and Yeah. You know, it was a little bit shocking. Um, and I do actually remember our last day of high school very clearly. Um, we had a sub in our advanced literature class. Um, and we had heard about COVID and our lit teacher was out sick, thankfully with just a cold that day. Or so we're told. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> the conspiracies are real. Um, but Nolan was actually playing around with, what was the mask you were wearing? We had an N95, N95 yeah. N95, yeah, from the robotics room. Um, it was and, a trendsetter. Yeah, it was the last class of the day. Um, and later that evening, we got the news that we would not be returning to school due to COVID, you know? So it was really interesting to see it go from that huge joke that you were playing on the class um, to it being a huge reality. And yeah, you com you're completely right with like the whole grocery store thing. 
Um, and, you know, going to the grocery store every once in a while and having to wear a mask and, you know, you see so many people not wearing masks and not taking it seriously. And I think that that's really, um, it's, it's out of fear and it's out of a lack of understanding. You know, it's, it's not to be malicious. Um, it's because people are so used to things being the way that they are that, yeah, when, when something like this happens, it is, it's truly shocking. Um, and it's difficult to cope with, and it's difficult to handle, and everybody handles it in a different way. Um, I handled it by taking up as many at-home hobbies as I personally could. Did any stick? Uh, you, know, just... you know, a, f- a few have stuck. Um, you crocheting sweaters for your dog? Or? You know, it was, not, it was not crocheting. It was embroidery, actually. I have embroidered quite a few things since last March. Um, I picked up sourdough making with my mom. I have a ton of coloring books that are half started and will never be finished. Um, so, you know, just stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah but. No, I, I think looking back on that last day of high school, if I recall right, the sub that we had seemed a little radical in her, in her observations of, of COVID. And... Um, we could probably talk a little bit about the, the anti-Asian sentiment that was definitely heard in that classroom today and is, is permeated into a lot of things today. But no, that was a, an interesting way to end the school year. For sure. So, so you said, you, men- you mentioned um, embroidering and sourdough making. Yeah. But do you think that there's a certain aspect of, of hobbies or, I guess, purpose that made you get, or that allowed you to get through quarantine? Do you think you would be able to get through quarantine without something like that to do? Yeah, you know, I think that everybody needs their thing. Um, And I think that with hobbies such as bread making, embroidery, um, all that sort of stuff where you just are really present in that moment, um, it's, it's very cathartic and it allows you to not have to think about everything that's happening Um, around you and you know that it's a little ignorant you know Um, but sometimes ignorance is bliss and you just need those two hours where you can focus on making a loaf of bread instead of you know trying to save the world Um, so you know those were my things Um, and I've I've heard a multitude of hobbies that people tried over the quarantine period. Um, I know a lot of people planted gardens, um, took up horticulture, you know, it was, it was a really big thing. And I think that people really used whatever means necessary to cope with their entire life just sort of shutting down, you know? I think, I mean, for myself, I've seen a lot of people that I know who've picked up these hobbies like gardening, like making mm-hmm. sourdough bread like being more self-reliant. Right. Almost keep these hobbies f- for a year. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that their habits now, they're something these people enjoy. If they didn't, they wouldn't have kept them this long. But do you think this plays into the idea of kind of the smart city of, you know, a city that doesn't produce as much carbon emissions or have as much pollution? Do you think that there's also a shift at the same time towards more of a, a greener environment? You know, I honestly haven't really thought about it that way. Um, and it's definitely a very interesting perspective. 
Um, but one thing that I will point out is that for as many people that I know that picked up all of these wonderful green hobbies, um, I know equally as many people um, that kind of buried themselves in online shopping um, and things that aren't as green as we would like them to be. Um, so I definitely think that that could potentially play a role in the transition to being a smart city. Um, but I don't know if that, if it's really as prevalent as we think it is currently, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So we're told that hopefully by the summer, early fall, we'll be back to normal. What do you think? Do you think this is just another empty promise and, uh, hope for, for no more lockdowns or... Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's very interesting, um, and we are under a new administration, um, and each administration handles things very differently than the last. Um, as far as a timeline for returning to normalcy, I think that that definitely depends on your definition or your version of normalcy a little bit. Um, I know that for me personally, my version of normalcy could include still having to wear a mask when I go out in public, um, still having to remain six feet from people, but being able to like go to events, being able to go to a restaurant and eat inside, being able to go to a movie theater, you know? Um, but I know that for a lot of other people, their version of normalcy is returning to things such as like Summerfest and these huge, hugely populated events without having to wear a mask without having to socially distance. And you know, I think that the reality of the situation is we're not going to hit that point for quite some time. Um, I think that as we start to see ma uh, mass vaccinations nationally, we'll definitely start getting to that point. Um, but one thing that people have to acknowledge is that the vaccination process, it isn't like getting your flu shot, you know? Um, so I know from personal experience, you go, you have to fill out a ton of paperwork, they have to read you all of the side effects, um, you have to go through your medical history, and then they can give you the shot. And then after they give you the shot based off of your age and your medical history and a bunch of other stuff, um, that determines your waiting and observation period. And that can be anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour, depending on what vaccine you get. And you have to remember that depending on what vaccine you get, you have to wait two or three weeks in between doses um, if it's one of the two-dose ones. Otherwise, Johnson & Johnson was just approved to give their one-dose vaccine, which is awesome. Um, so it, it definitely is a long process, you know? Um, and it's it's complicated because a lot of people, a lot of places have have formulated the infrastructure to be able to implement as many vaccines as possible. Um, but there are only so many vaccines that can be produced and delivered in a single day, you know? Um, and then the allocation of those vaccines, like which areas get those vaccines, which states get those vaccines, which I know is an area, but it's a larger area. Um, it's, it's a little more complicated than what it seems to be at the surface. For sure. So you mentioned, you know, your work with nonprofits, potentially working with like governmental organizations in the future. So I've heard a lot of pretty big name scholars 
critique like the FDA and in other national organizations that are, you know, in charge of approving kind of these, these different things relating to COVID. Um, and I think the biggest one was the FDA not approving, you know, rapid at-home tests mm-hmm. for mass production, which I think they just recently did, but could have been done last April. So do you think as we move towards kind of these future smart cities that we're going to see kind of more technology and and focus on public health and safety that we haven't seen in the past hundred years? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, the data is definitely there to support the fact that after a major pandemic, such as SARS, such as COVID, you definitely see um, a spike um, in people's investment in the medical industry and medical technology. Um, And I think that with becoming a smart city and kind of becoming more technology involved nationally, since, you know, it's not it's not necessarily a city by city thing. Um, There's a lot of both um, national and state legislature that goes into that sort of process. Um, But I definitely think that we will see medical technology start to become a little bit more self-sufficient and less um, less so relying on medical professionals to pr- perform something as as simple as what could be a COVID test. So once COVID, uh, COVID's gone completely, you know, it's safe to travel and go to, to your festivals and, and parties and, and not have any fear for getting COVID. Are you planning on traveling anywhere or do you have any big plans? Yeah, you know, I've always loved to travel. Um, I have been, you know, not nearly as many places as I would like to have been so far. Um, But I am definitely fortunate enough to have traveled quite a bit. Um, You know, so after COVID, I I do definitely plan to study abroad. Um, I would definitely like to work outside of the United States career-wise for at least a little while once I'm done with college, which, you know, is going to be a long process because it's not just a bachelor's, it's a bachelor's plus a whole lot of other stuff. Um, But yeah, I love to travel. I love to experience different cultures, different parts of the world, um, because the world is a lot smaller than we think it is. Um, and people are a lot more similar than we think that they are. And I think that that is so amazing. Um, so travel is definitely in the books. Um, but I feel that like as soon as we can like go out safely, no risk of COVID, no risk of getting it, no risk of transmitting it. Um, you know, I, I would love to go to my first ever huge college party. Um, I do go to UW-Madison, um, I am 18 years old, <laughs> so, you know, nothing nothing too bold, nothing, nothing overwhelming, um, but I do definitely want to be a part of that Madison culture, so. Yeah, you mentioned studying abroad, you know, do, do you plan on applying anywhere in particular, or are you just, you know, anywhere, you just want to go? And... Yeah, I just want to kind of hit the road and see where it takes me. Um, I have a few things in mind, um, not not narrowed down enough to the point where I feel ready to talk about them, um, but you know, there, there are a lot of possibilities, so. Interesting. So, 
I guess you kind of dodged my question there. Are you buying a plane ticket tomorrow for anywhere in particular? <laughs> I know you've been to Singapore. Yes. But... So, I, so far I have, like, my three major places outside of the United States that I've been to, excluding Canada and Mexico, since those are right above and below us. Um, everybody says, you know, they don't count. Um, I have been to Singapore, Malaysia, and Japan. Um, I love Asia. My mom has lived and spent a lot of time in Asia. Um, so that's definitely on my list, either returning to those places or visiting the numerous other um, beautiful places in Asia. Um, Shanghai is definitely very high up on my list. One of my college prospects was actually in Shanghai. Um, and so I definitely want to check that out and kind of, you know, see what I'm missing a little bit. Um, not that I regret my choice of Madison. It's a wonderful place. I'm so glad I'm there. I think it's a really, really fantastic fit for me per personally. Um, but yeah, I would say Shanghai is really high up there. Interesting. So have you started studying any foreign languages or to go to school in Shanghai? Do you just need English or what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, surprisingly, um, English is the number one spoken language in Shanghai, um, just because it does revolve so much around business and industry being the largest city in the world. Um, so, you know, I don't think that I, I would be, there would be too much of a language barrier if I did choose to visit Shanghai for college. Um, my mom does speak Mandarin, so I have a tiny bit of Mandarin under my belt. It's more so listening than speaking by all means, so I would have quite a bit of work to do. Um, and that's definitely something that I would invest in if I did travel to Shanghai um, or just learning the language of wherever I go because you know I don't want to be one of those American tourists who goes somewhere and only speaks English and expects other people to understand me. Like that's not at all who I am as a person. So learning, learning the language before I go would definitely be a huge part of the experience. So do you think this love for, you know, public service and vastly different cultures is ever going to manifest in like a job with like the United Nations or another international major nonprofit? Yeah, that would be very, very interesting. Um, you know, I did model United Nations all throughout high school. That was kind of my thing, as Nolan knows, um, more so than anything else, really. Um, so I, I definitely do think that that would be interesting maybe like an internship or some sort of fellowship would be very cool. Um, as far as career-wise and where I will go, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely sure yet. Um, I, I've had these grand dreams of being able to work for myself um, so that I'm able to build my own schedule and travel um, and still have at least a small life outside of work. Um, but I think that as long as I enjoy what I do, it won't really feel like work, or so I've been told by quite a few people. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe looking at the international scope of like nonprofit organizations and NGOs and IGOs and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I guess we will just have to wait and see. Yeah. So did Model UN for you give you kind of uh, an upper hand with political science and communications in college. I mean, for me, I can recall a number of, of committee sessions where, you know, we were talking about planting bushes around borders and uh, passing plastic geese around, literally. But 
you know, what's your experience with that? Like, I guess high school extracurricular wise, like, did that stuff help you or you was know, it just fun? I feel like um, it definitely helped to an extent. Um, I think that like procedure, procedurally um, and kind of from familiarizing me with the organization, I feel like without my experience in Model UN, I would not be near as familiar with the United Nations as I am today. Um, you know, the content, however, that was proposed through those sessions, um, you know, that's a high school students having fun. And I think that whenever you have a high school extracurricular, whenever you're involved in something, um, make it something that you're passionate about, make it something that you can learn from, um, but also don't forget to have fun with it. Um, because when you take the time and when you invest your time in something like that, you're losing out on a completely other high school experience. Um, and so just remember to have fun, you know? That's that's the important part when you're at that stage in your life. Do you think that's something you're going to keep? That kind of wanderlust for, for fun and excitement with whatever you do? Or is that something that you think as you get older you're going to get rid of? Oh, no, for sure. Um, one, of, one of my major requirements when I meet new people, um, when I find new friends, when I enter new relationships, everything that I do, um, I strive for it to be an adventure of some sorts. Uh, you know, I'm really passionate about everything that I do. Um, I believe that everything that I put my name on, that, that connects to me, it's part of me. Um, and so I want it to be something, something that I'm proud of and something that other people can look at and they can be proud of it too, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I try to work as hard as I can. Um, I, I try to find fun in things. I try to find adventure in things. And I try re really hard to stay as humble as I can, you know? So. You do, you do. I think that's evident in your work. Um, I mean, one thing you haven't mentioned, but I know you've played a, played a really large role in, was within our high school, with student government and, and helping out behind the scenes at what I think is ex excluding a few national food drives, like the largest that Racine County has had for for a number of years. Right. And I mean, you, you participated in that for seven years? Yeah. Or just about just that? About, just about seven years, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot in high school, um, and I, I couldn't have done it without the help of so many other fantastic people, such as Nolan and a ton of other of my high school friends, Paige Allen, Jordan Liu, Sophie Young, Ben Brussett, you know, the whole... We'll have to get on the podcast at one point. Right, the whole gang. Um, it would be great to have them all back together in the same room at some point because they are just amazing, incredible, intelligent people, and they all bring something different to the table. Um, and so, you know, through, through all of their cooperation and through all of our collaboration, we were able to do, honestly, some, some pretty amazing stuff as high school students. I think, you know, looking back, that's probably the, the largest benefit that I had in high school mm -hmm. is being around other people who were equally, if not right. more driven as myself. And it just made me want to strive for more. Yeah, you know, I think that that was something that was incredibly unique about our high school experience. Um, we did attend a high school that had a smaller scale population. You know, it, it wasn't incredibly tiny. 
um, but it, it definitely wasn't huge. We had a graduating class of about 60 people with co-valedictorians, so that leaves 58 others. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you think that, I mean, so for those who don't know, Walden is, it was started as kind of like an experiment in, I want to say the early 70s, around 1972. About then, yeah. Somewhere in that ballpark. Um but, I mean, it's gone through a few different cycles, because from what I've heard, you know, it was at first a school for, for students who were not driven and who, you know, were not able to be in a traditional right. high school environment. And then yeah. it became kind of, you know, like a laid back, like, we're going to go smoke pot with the teachers. And it, it was a hippie school. It was. For sure. And up um, until, like, our seventh grade year, I would say, even. Yeah. No, I think, because the first building that we were in, that Walden's been through four or five different buildings at this point. Yeah. But the first building that we were in, we've been in two. Um, I don't know if you remember, we were in the same home group in middle school and going down stairs um, from our home group, which was on the second floor, there was a bright mural of a sun that looked like it was on an acid trip. Oh, completely. There, and... <laughs> there were shrooms painted below it. There was this majestic fairy woman who was very scantily clad. Uh, you know, it was it was definitely an interesting experience, um, but I think that bringing it back to its uniqueness, um, I had the opportunity to sit down with our high school counselor, and we were looking at GPAs, you know, of our class and kind of the averages, determining, you know, where you should apply for high school based off of where you are now. Um, and something that was really kind of amazing to me, and I'm sure it's occurred other places, of course, um, but I think that it really shows the determination and the drive of a lot of our friends and peers, um, is the traditional bell curve that you see when referring to, like, GPAs in high school. Ours was reversed. So you had the most amount of, like, you had the most amount of students sitting at you know, 3.8s to 4.0s on an unweighted scale. And then around the center of that, you saw a huge drop off. And then it shot right back up around the kids that had like, you know, the 1.5s to the 2.0s. Um, and you know, and that's not to d discredit their work because one thing that I found amazing about Walden is that within our class, each person had so many different strengths and I think that you could really sit down with anyone and get to know them. Um, and there was minimal judgment on everybody's part and a ton of collaboration. And that was something that was really cool. So I think the whole idea of Walden, it was kind of a, you know, an experiment, a doctoral thesis mm -hmm. and just a project. And I think one of the major things with any experiment is that it has to be repeatable. Do you think Walden in the way that we experienced Walden is repeatable? Do you think it should be repeated? Do you think, are we, are we the exception? You should know, we just... A, I don't, I don't think it is repeatable. Um, and B, even if it is, I don't think that anyone should ever try it. Um, for a few different reasons. A, I feel like the majority of my high school career was this huge fever dream. You know, I look back I look I look back at certain stories and I'm like, wow, you know, it is amazing that all of us lived. Um but 
you know, I think that a huge part of Walden is, is the people who make it what it is. And we happen to be a part of and graduate with an exceptional class. And you know, if you look at the classes above us in age and below us in age, you know, there were some really great people kind of spread throughout the class as I feel there are in most high school classes. Um, but I know that I would not be anywhere near as, I, I would say successful um, as I am today without the people that I went to high school with who really pushed me um, who really drove me to be what I am today. For sure. No, I do think the people made a huge, huge impact. I can't necessarily speak for those younger than us, um, barring a few individuals. Um, but those older than us definitely did play a role. I mean, I don't know if you've had any classes with um, Heidi Como, Ethan Weaver, yeah. Yasmin and Sophia Sasek. Yep. Those... Those four there, those were they were two years older than us, or two years older than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a number of others, but I, I definitely, now thinking of it, can kind of almost see these peaks of like exemplary, 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 exemplary <laughs> students <laughs> who were able to, you know, push each other right. in just the right ways. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's an interesting concept that I right. don't necessarily think I've seen elsewhere. Yeah. I haven't seen it in work or in anything else that I've done. But, you know, being able to push someone's buttons and piss them off just the right amount exactly. to make them work harder and then still be friends at the end of the day, I think is important. Exactly. So, do you think overall in our education system in the U.S., you can look at Racine if you want to, but just in general... Do you think you'd be where you are today if you were in a normal high school? Or do you think that, you know, the people that you were around made you? Yeah, no, I I think that it was definitely the high school experience. You know, um, people say like nature versus nurture. And I think that that theme is definitely applicable to the high school experience and the high school situation. Uh, You know, when you get into bigger schools, when you get into class sizes that are hundreds to even thousands of students, you really lose a lot of that connectivity. Um, And I've, I've already felt it in my transition to college. You know, I go to a huge state university. There are tons of students. There are tons of faculty. The student to faculty ratio is obviously very off just because, you know, there are thousands upon thousands of college students in the United States looking for a good college education. Um, And I've noticed that, and you know, it could be partially because I've done school from home, from my bed this whole past year. Um, But I think, I think it is a little bit a part of, um, you know, how large the school is, that I do feel a little bit of that disconnect um, that I definitely didn't feel in high school. So I really, I really do think that that nurturing environment played a huge role in me turning out the way that I did. For sure. You know, it's crazy to think, looking back, that there are so many like small events that made it possible for, I mean, us to have this conversation today, but for us to forge friendships, to really do anything, a lot of stuff is just by chance. I mean, I don't know if you know this, just yesterday... 
um, I hit a deer driving home in the dark. And, uh, you know, I was like thinking about it. If I had stopped and gotten a coffee, I wouldn't have hit that deer. If, you know, I had taken a different way home, like it just stuff like that just happens. And it's kind of weird. And, you know, sometimes you hit a deer and it's not a great thing. Right. But other times, you know, you are put into a home group in sixth grade and you make a great friend. Yeah, for sure. Or, you know, you just happen to sit at a lunch table with someone and you have a great conversation and they're your college roommate and your best friends. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that it's crazy to look back at and just see how it all played out. So I think that nurture definitely does play a major role in that. Yeah, and I, I definitely do understand that, but I think that the most important point in your story, Nolan, is that you should always stop for a cup of coffee. That's true. And you you, know, you can so- never be too caffeinated. Yeah, and you should do so at like a, a local coffee place to like support, support local. local businesses. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of local coffee here in Racine. Mm-hmm. So this might be a little bit of a... It's an omen. A jarring question for me to ask you. But where do you get your coffee from? Do you have any loyalty? You know, are you collectivo? Are you... It's, it's a bit embarrassing sitting here with a gigantic Starbucks cup in my hand as I'm preaching to other people to buy local. Um, you know, Wilson's is a huge part of Racine. If you're ever in Racine, stop by, check it out. Um, it really is the hot spot for all of your coffee and tea needs. Um, I think that, you know, the coffee you choose... It really has kind of a reflection on who you are as a person. You know, I go to Starbucks a ton because it's fast, it's easy, it's on my way to wherever I'm going. Um, you know, but when I when I really have time to sit down and have a cup of coffee or have a cup of tea and catch up with a friend or if, you know, I'm meeting with a business partner or a colleague, you know, Wilson's would definitely be the place to go. So another Racine-specific question here. Okay. If you have to get a pizza, there's one right answer here. So let's see if you get it. Okay. Where are you going to go? The original Wells Brothers location for the Thin Crust original pizza. She got it right. Perfect. Um, one more Racine food question here. What kind of Kringle is your favorite? You know, a ton of people preach O&H. And, you know, having a father who grew up um, in, in an adjacent city to here in Oak Creek, his family always made the trek down every Sunday to buy a Benson's pecan homemade Kringle. Um, and so, you know, that's what I grew up eating. Um, that is, that's sort of the place that my family's loyalties lie to. Um, so, you know, you, you can have your own H if that's what you like. Um, but I think that if I were to set up a blind taste test for someone, their choice would be Benson's any day of the week. So a little little traitorous here for most people in her scene, yeah. but you know, she's not mainstream. So just finishing up here, a few more questions for you. What's one book that you could recommend to listeners? Yeah. If you could um, recommend any. You know, I struggled a lot with this question um, when you sent me sort of the outline of talking points for today. And I think that pretty on brand with what we've been discussing um, and just wanting people to invest in their city and where they live, 
um, but also holding cities and corporations accountable for making sure that that the city is a place that you want people to live and people to invest in. Um, the book Evicted by Matthew Desmond. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read it. I've not. Uh, yeah, I I would highly recommend taking a look at that book. It's Evicted by Matthew Desmond. By Matthew Desmond. Yep. I'll give that one a read. And one last question here. If you could change one thing, anything in the world, right now, mm-hmm. what would it be? Uh, you know, I thought a lot about this question. And I was like, oh, you know, Ruby, you could come up with some, like, snarky, creative, funny answer. Um, but the reality of the situation is I actually hate that question for a few, for a few different reasons. Um, A, it's incredibly unrealistic, you know, um, there's really nothing that you can change in an instant and to kind of even take a second and believe that you can, in my opinion, discredits the hard work of so many important figures throughout our society. Um, and you know, I also think that there are so many things in this world, in our nation, in our state, in our city, that need improvement and that need the work, um, that it's unfair to choose just one to focus on, you know? That's fair. It's a very fair point. Ruby, it's been a pleasure talking to you for this past hour. I've enjoyed our conversation here. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me.